Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us today as we try to answer some more questions uh, that you've given us. And we're going to do that just like we do every week. We take viewers' questions and there's a phone number and a website that you can use to get those questions to us. And uh, then we'll put them in our stack of questions and get to them just as quickly as we can. Uh, we get questions about the Bible, specifically about the Bible, or this verse or that chapter, what's it mean? And we get a lot of just general questions about life and current events and what the Bible principle on certain things is. So whatever's on your mind that might have a Bible answer to it, we'd be happy to try to find it. Of course, our goal is to help everybody understand their Bible better and promote Bible study. Uh, but if you've got a question, we'd like to hear it. So let me introduce my uh, partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. Uh, and our viewers, if they got anything on their mind, just log on to that website or use that phone number. Let us know what it is. Of course, we always start with a question for our viewers, so you've got to be uh, ready here on this program. And our pro question for you today is, how many books are in the Bible? Pretty simple one here. Of course, if you've got a Bible, you can go count them real quick during the program, but uh, we hope you know that answer, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Toby, I think you drew the first question straw today, so okay. get us started. Yeah. Um, the viewer has an election question, and uh, they say, I consider both candidates in an election to be evil. Uh, how would you handle it? Uh, okay, well, this is uh, probably a question, and I appreciate the question, by the way, because I believe uh, Bible-believing Christians ought to vote. You know, it's a, a unique privilege that we have in the United States to be able to elect those in power over us, and I think that's a privilege that bears a great deal of responsibility. This viewer is taking that very seriously and just doesn't know how to weigh between the two candidates. And um, I guess my simple answer to the question is the first option would be to abstain from that vote. Um, I've myself, uh, you know, I try to educate myself on all the candidates and issues and side up where I'm most closely aligned. Uh, but there are sometimes a, a judge or a, something that I'm not, I don't know if I should vote to retain that judge or not. So I'll just leave that one blank um, because I'm not informed enough to vote on that matter. But this one says, it sounds like you put a little thought into that. And um, I would say that it seems like sometimes there are people who say, well, you know, both sides are bad. And they just kind of use that as a excuse for laziness. I don't really want to vote, and it doesn't really matter anyway, and so forth. And I, that's definitely not the right attitude. Um, uh, but if you are trying to seriously weigh the matter, uh, get educated as much as you can, read on the candidate's website, read on the issues and where they stand, call their office and ask uh, where they stand on this issue or that. Uh, secondly, is uh, there you need to give more weight to weightier issues, and the weightier issues are ones that are more important to God, okay? Uh, 
the, the right to life and protecting innocent life in God's eyes, that bears a much greater uh, responsibility and it's a much bigger issue than where you stand on tax policy. Okay, we can argue about that all day long, but there are weightier issues that God sees as more important. So make sure that the candidate and you specifically are voting for the candidate that sides most closely with God on the weightier issues. And then the rest of the issues, you know, you, you are free to use your own reasoning mind, but just educate yourself as much as possible. I appreciate you taking it seriously, and I hope that all those who are watching will do so. Let's look at a verse on the screen, verse Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so that's our main responsibility, of course, besides voting in the right way, is praying in the right way for our leaders and those who are in charge. So uh, that's my answer. All righty. <laughs> All right, viewers, heard a rumor here and wants to check it out with Know Your Bible. I heard nobody will be married in heaven. Is that true? Well, it seems like it from reading the Bible. Uh, of course, we may find out some things different when we get there, but uh, from what we're told, it looks pretty clear that uh, there won't be such a thing as marriage in heaven. Let's just check the scripture that covers that. Luke chapter 20, Jesus himself is talking in verse 34 and 35. And uh, we might back it up a little bit. The, the question was they tried to trick him about marriage and uh, heaven. And they said, this woman had seven husbands and who's she going to be married to in heaven? And Jesus said, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They can no longer die for they're like the angels. All right. So he says it's going to be different in heaven. In this age on earth, yes, we marry. Uh, some people divorce. Some people, spouses die. All of that happens. But in heaven, uh, the people there, there's not going to be any marriage. They're going to be like angels. And he says another place, angels don't marry. That uh, doesn't, doesn't happen. Marriage, uh, we don't know much about angels, but they don't get married. We know that much. Okay, uh, and some people think, well, how could you be happy in heaven if you don't have your, say you've been married to someone for 60 years and you go to heaven and you're not married anymore? How does that work? Well, it's a spiritual kingdom, and I think Jesus is trying to point that out. This is a physical kingdom that we live in now, and you think about it, what's the purpose of marriage? Now, the purpose of marriage, one purpose was to procreate, to replenish the, uh, to populate the earth originally. And another um, purpose of marriage is for a man and a woman to complete each other. Uh, we need a spouse on this earth to be complete. That's the way God designed it. Now, in heaven, in a purely phys uh, spiritual arrangement, we certainly don't need to procreate. We're going to have the population will be settled, I think. Uh, but that physical, romantic, fulfillment and all of that changes to a completely spiritual relationship where we won't need that somehow. And I can't explain it because it's going to be heaven. But we can be sure that we're going to be happy there. God's going to work that out just fine somehow. And 
It's not going to be a marriage relationship. There won't be a need for one, but we will have our spiritual relationships, I think, will be so much greater uh, that we'll never even worry about the absence of marriage. So, as far as the Bible says, no marriage in heaven. Okay. No market for Christian mingle. <laughs> no Christian mingle up in heaven, I guess. <laughs> All right, a viewer asks a, a very tough question. Matthew five thirty-one and 32 says, Anyone who marries someone who is divorced is committing adultery. There are lots of divorced people, so this is confusing. Uh, well, um, I appreciate the question. I don't think it's as confusing as we'd like to make it out to be. Uh, Jesus was pretty direct on the matter. Um, it's just that it's unpopular. And it's really not just unpopular in our age. It's pretty much always been unpopular uh, back in Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus, uh, the teachers of the law and the Sadducees basically said to Jesus, you know, is it lawful, lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus said, well, at the beginning, it wasn't like that. <laughs> God created male and female, one man, one woman, and He intended them to be together for one lifetime. But uh, you, you and I, human beings in this broken world, we mess things up. And so divorce does happen. Now, the question is um, uh, from Matthew 5, 31 and 32. So let's look at that first verses on the screen, those verses on the screen. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Well, um, in an age, and this is certainly the case both then and now, uh, when divorce was rampant and it was just, you know, anytime you get unhappy. In fact, there's a history, in history, there's a case where, you know, they would ask the rabbis if, if, the, if your wife burned the bread uh, at, the, at the meal, was that reason enough for a divorce? And so people were just looking for any and every reason. And Jesus says, no, 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 wait a second. That's, <laughs> and this is in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is what he typically does. He takes what's the standard of that time and he says, no, 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 this is, this is how marriage really works. And he basically resets the standard for what we understand um, is justifiable divorce. Now, if you're divorced out there, I, I, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic or uncompassionate. Uh, it's, a, it's a hurtful thing. It's a harmful thing. It, it, it's, it's just uh, one of the most horrific things in life you can go through. And so, uh, but the viewer asked the question, what does the scripture say? What does the Bible teach? Um, uh, Jesus said that adultery is when you marry is someone marries or has sexual relations with another married person. And so Jesus is saying divorce only truly occurs in God's eyes when one of those two married people is unfaithful to each other. Otherwise, in God's eyes, there's still one. And what he's saying there is God takes that covenant very, very seriously. Even though you and I do not, in our world or in Jesus' world, and so uh, that's, that's the point, I think, that Jesus is making, is this is serious, and we need to take it serious, and we need to give very serious thought into who we marry, to why we're marrying them. And if you are married, you need to absolutely be committed to making it work. And uh, <clears throat> as far as it depends on you, do your very best. And uh, not just throw in the towel for any and every reason. Um, and so, anyway, let's end by reading Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6 together. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason 
A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, so, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And just because it's rampant and just because there's a lot of it going on doesn't mean that God has changed His mind on the matter. God is serious about marriage, and so, so too should we be. <laughs> All right, thank you, Toby. Take just a moment and uh, tell you about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, I know it's interesting maybe to listen to us answer questions, but uh, we only get a few in each week. We just uh, we, we can't keep up with the ones we get, and there's a million more that we haven't gotten yet. So we advocate home Bible study is what I'm getting around to. We think that's the best way to get to know your Bible is sit down with your Bible in your home and there's some free Bible study materials that we think will help you study your Bible, and we're happy to provide them for you. Uh, we've got a number of different courses, you know your Bible study tools that uh, we'll send to you. And if you follow them and dedicate a little bit of time each day or each week, however, however your schedule works out, uh, you can learn a lot about your Bible pretty quickly. This first set that you see on your screen, there are eight lessons in it. Uh, it's not a uh, tied to any creed or denomination or anything else. It's just a good basic Bible study. It introduces you to the Old Testament, the New Testament, helps you understand a number of different topics in the Bible, uh, and gets you kind of grounded and familiar with your Bible. Uh, then once you complete it, we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to keep sending you, and uh, we do it absolutely free of charge. won't even cost you anything for the postage. So uh, if you want to get to study your Bible that way and to really get to understand your Bible better, use that phone number on the screen or the website that's listed there. Log on and say you'd like that free course, or just call our operator and tell her, give her your name and address. And we'll get it started for you. Great way to study the Bible. All right, got a question that uh, we get every once in a while. We get a lot of questions about baptism because it's an important topic in the Bible, and people want to know the details of it. Uh, this viewer asked a pretty simple one and just wants to know: Is baptism what saves us? Is baptism what saves us? Uh, the answer to that question is no. Uh, baptism itself, the, the putting someone under water, uh, does not save that person. I can prove that real easily uh, by the fact that uh, if I took somebody and put them under water and they didn't care a thing about it or know anything about Jesus, or they might fight me all the way. Uh, but if I got them all under water, uh, they wouldn't be saved necessarily. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of God's relationship to people. Uh, it's a whole lot more than just being underwater. Now, baptism plays a part in it, uh, but it's not what saves us. Uh, the grace of God saves us. The Bible's very clear about that. Uh, we're saved through faith in Christ. Uh, we believe in the blood of Christ that it will save us, that it will erase our sins. We trust in Him, and God's grace through that faith is what saves us. Nothing else saves us. Nothing we can boast in, Paul says. Now, there's a confusion because we are told if we believe in Christ, there are certain things that He asks us to do, He commands us to do. Well, if you really believe in Christ, you'll do anything He says. And one of those is baptism. He also tells us to repent. The Bible says repentance saves us, but it isn't really what saves us. The Bible says baptism saves us, but it isn't really what saves us. Uh, confession, a number of things. 
the best way to explain it, I think, is baptism is when we are saved. He does command us to be baptized. And all the things you read in the New Testament about when the blessings come, when we are in Christ, when we contact the blood, when the Holy Spirit works in our heart, all that is at baptism. So baptism itself doesn't save us, but it's when we are saved. Okay, let me give you an example, one great illustration from the Bible. A fellow named Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he was a sinner. He was persecuting Christians. Okay. Uh, he saw Jesus. He talked to Jesus on the road to Damascus. He confessed Jesus on the road to Damascus. He called him Lord. Now, a lot of people would say, okay, he saw Jesus and confessed him as Lord. That'll do it. He's saved. Okay. But uh, he lost his sight at that point, too. He went into town. Uh, he asked, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, go into town. Somebody will tell you. Okay. So he went into town. He fasted and prayed for a number of days. A lot of people would say, that'll do it. This guy fasted and prayed for three days. He's serious. Uh, he, he's saved. Well, Paul went beyond that. He was healed. When Ananias came to see him, he gave him his sight back. So some people would say, that'll do it. Man, this guy experienced a healing from God, so he's surely saved. Well, after all that happened, let's look together at what the preacher told him in Acts 22:16. All these things that happened, and Ananias said, now, after all of that, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. In other words, after all of that, Saul still was guilty sinner. He still had sins. And Ananias said, now we got to get rid of those sins. Uh, you believe, you've confessed, you've repented, you've fasted, you've prayed, you've done all these things. Now the time to get rid of your sins is in baptism. So let's get up and go baptize you and your sins will be washed away. Okay? The salvation came at baptism. It wasn't what saved him. Uh, and that's easy to understand. If before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, somebody would have dunked Saul under the water, he wouldn't have been saved. But believing, repenting, praying, all of that, then he was put under the water, and that's when the Holy Spirit took his sins away. So not what saves us, it's when we are saved, however. All right, really, Toby. Really good answer there. I appreciate that. Um, if you were asked the question, why are so many young people leaving church? Well, that's a fairly large question to answer in about three minutes. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you some ideas or my thoughts. Um, I think uh, there's some uh, lots of reasons, lots of factors that go into it. Probably one is uh, a lack of serious parenting. And I don't mean serious like very serious. I mean just parents that take it seriously, that see their parenting uh, not as just something to get through, but it's really a task from God. They see their children as something that they are to steward, that they're a blessing from God, that they're to manage <coughs> them and train them up, as the scripture says. And there's just not a lot of that. Too many parents are farming that out to other people and expecting other people to do it, uh, just letting children essentially raise themselves. And, well, that's just not going to work. Uh, if you want a garden to, har to be able to give you a bountiful harvest, you not only got to plant the seed, but you got to water it and you got to weed it and you got to tend to it. 
every day. And if you do that long enough, then you get a harvest. You just throw some seed out there on the ground, of course, it's not going to work. Um, <clears throat> one is, the uh, second reason is uh, lack of intentional discipline. Uh, lots of parents worry that anything they do is just going to wound Junior beyond uh, repair, and so they do nothing. And they just, you know, just let Junior do whatever feels good and whatever's right. Well, the parents have a role there to train their children. Uh, third is, I think, a changing of cultural values. Uh, we're shifting. I heard one teacher describe it this way. We're shifting from a Jewish-based culture to a Greek culture. Uh, we're shif shifting from the culture of Acts chapter 2 to a culture of Acts chapter 17. <coughs> what he meant by that was we're changing from a culture that revered God's Word and respected God's Word and was centered around the God of the Bible to a multicultural, uh, uh, politically correct, uh, based on man's word and not God's word kind of culture. And so in that culture, it's much, much harder to raise Christian, Christian children who fear the Lord, who love Him. And it's not impossible. It just means a different set of challenges than previous generations have. So uh, lots of th those reasons. I'm sure there are many others. What can we do about it is probably the more important question. Well, one is if you're a parent, you have to be serious about it. If you're sitting at home this morning and you have young children, uh, you should be teaching them about God. You should be uh, invoking Him in your conversations and, and sitting around the, your table and reading through the Bible. If you sign up for a Bible correspondence course, you should work through that with your children. Um, you should be taking them to a Bible-believing church. If you don't have a church home, you know, uh, visit any of the programs, uh, churches that we uh, advertise on the program. Uh, any Church of Christ near you would be happy to help you in training and raising your children to know the Lord. Uh, number two is if you don't have children, invest time with people who do. I love at Northside that we have a ministry called Prayer Pals where we have individuals all from all demographics of the church that are intentionally praying for our students. Uh, from kindergarten through 12th grade. And each of them has a single prayer pal who they know loves them and is praying for them and cares deeply about their spiritual life. So invest time if you're not doing that, if you don't have children of your own. And third is, you know, love people well. If there's a mom bringing her kids to church and she's got no help, well, go sit by her and help her. And, and you know, it, it's a good thing that she's got those little babies, but sometimes little babies cry and they need some help. They need somebody to, to be an extra pair of arms and and, and finally, just give grace. Remember, you were probably a parent once too, and it's not the easiest time in the world. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 together. The Bible says there, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and, and instruction of the Lord. So uh, some things we can do uh, and uh, raise up the gener next generation to be God-fearing folks. All righty. Viewers ask a real simple question. Where does it say, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat? Well, it does say that in the Bible, believe it or not. Second Thessalonians 3.10 is where it says that. And Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica. He was warning them, don't to be idle. He said, in the church, if you've got people that are idle, that's not good. They need to be working. Christians need to work. He said, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. If you've got somebody that's able to work and he prefers to be idle and stay home and not do anything, well, then don't take him any food. 
Uh, and that sounds kind of cruel in some ways, but Paul was smart enough to know, but that guy will figure this out. He'll <laughs> say, hold it now. I'm getting hungry. I better go get a job. Uh, and that's the way it works. If we feed somebody and take care of them and give them, when they're able to work, uh, we, uh, we encourage them not to work. So Paul said, it's pretty simple. They're able to do it, and they're not wanting to work. Uh, don't feed them. Second <coughs> Thessalonians 3:10. Let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. The ones that support us on this program, we like to mention a few of those each week. <coughs> Excuse me, got a frog in my throat there. A couple I want to mention today are from uh, Central Kansas area. Uh, Derby Church of Christ, great bunch of folks there. Larry Scars, the minister. I know you didn't enjoy hearing him. Uh, Augusta Church of Christ and uh, Agra is also a fine little community that has a church there. And if you live anywhere near them, drop in and visit them sometime. Or if you know a member, uh, tell them you appreciate the program and you watch it. And you thank them for keeping it on the air for you. Of course, you're welcome at any Church of Christ near you. And whatever state you're watching in, uh, there's probably one close to you. So give them a visit. All right, Toby. Uh, you were asked the question, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 26 is very plain about God's opinion of homosexuality. Why are so many churches trying to find a way around this teaching? Well, my answer to that is because it's not politically expedient. Um, it's very much uh, intolerant, if you will. It's, uh, it's just something that where God's word and man's opinion are at, at direct odds with one another. But let me also say that Romans chapter 1 mentions a lot of other sins and we shouldn't uh, weigh one sin as greater than another. Uh, but on that specific matter, God, you are absolutely right. God is very clear. Uh, and, you know, since the beginning, since Genesis chapter 3, uh, Satan has always started his temptation. He's always shifted man away from God. He starts by doing one very simple thing, asking the question, did God really say? Even if that's exactly what God did said, He just introduces that level of doubt, which is why I love this program, because we look at what God really says on the matter. Now, if you don't know, if you're not a student of the Bible, the Bible does teach that homosexual behavior is a, is a uh, sinful, sexually immoral choice. Uh, and it's a choice just like all other behaviors are a choice. Now, you may be tempted uniquely in that way. I'm not uh, saying you might not be uh, uh, have those inclinations very naturally, but that doesn't mean you should act upon them. Uh, we all have all sorts of uh, temptations and urges and things that God says, uh uh, that's not what you're to act. That's not how you're to act. That will not, behavior will not bless you or your life or the world at large. And uh, we can read the Bible very clearly to see. Uh, that that's um, you know, God, what God has intended is for one man and one woman to be married together for one lifetime. Uh, so if you are tempted in this way with homosexual behavior, I would say there are a lot of good ministries where you can learn to uh, manage your behavior and control yourself in a way that's honorable and pleasing to the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> let's finish by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. And Paul says there, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor, your God, honor, honor God with your bodies. So, this Bible's very clear on it, even yep. though our opinion Getting, often changes. 
getting harder and harder in this culture to stay is. true to God's word, but we'll keep working at it. Doesn't make it any less true, nope. though. <laughs> Let's answer our trivia question for the day. How many books are in the Bible? And if you count it or if you just learned them that way, there are 66 in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. We're glad you've been with us today. We'll invite you to be back with us next week for some more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.